welcome to the 16th episode of File Sonder, where we talk to people with lives just as interesting as our own. Hi there, I'm Steve Pacetti. I live in Covenant Living of Colorado. I'm uh, age 77, soon to be 78. And uh, my wife, Julie, and I have lived here since uh, February of 2018, and we like it. Um, I was born in uh, St. Augustine, Florida in August of 1944, so in terms of generations, that makes me a war baby <laughs> in terms of uh, World War II. Uh, the next generation was the baby boomers. Um, I grew up, though, in West Palm Beach, Florida, and uh, had a very nice childhood. I'm an only child, so I'm, I'm spoiled, and uh, went to uh, public schools there, elementary and uh, what we call junior high. I think they call it middle school now, mm -hmm. and high school. And uh, after that, I uh, went to uh, the University of Florida. I didn't like it, so I uh, dropped out and took uh, some time off what today is called a gap year, but mm -hmm. back then uh, parents just didn't understand that at all. Oh, You're supposed to keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, it put, put me a year behind all my high school class. But anyway, I went uh, to uh, Palm Beach Junior College for my sophomore year, and then for uh, junior and senior, I went to the American University in Washington, D.C., I uh, majored in uh, political science, and my degree is uh, called uh, government and public administration. I have always, ever since I can remember, been interested in politics. Um, my parents were, particularly my dad, we got uh, two newspapers, and every night we watched uh, the evening news, and mm -hmm. I've always had an interest in politics, and I still do. I'm a basically a political junkie <laughs> and uh, keep on top of that. Um, my hobbies, uh, I'm a avid stamp collector mm. and have been, uh, I started that when I was maybe about 10. Really? And then uh, after a while I dropped out on school, there were other interests and Gee, I discovered girls, so I uh, oh <laughs> dropped, dropped stamp collecting until about 1990 and uh, been heavily involved with that uh, ever since. In fact, uh, every Tuesday morning for two hours, there's a group of us, uh, seven of us, who meet on a Zoom call and talk about all kinds of things, and it's... Uh, Really okay. nice. Zoom. Oh yes, you're you're uh, just a you have my permission to play this and, to somebody um, or whoever you want to. I'm I probably watch too much TV. An interest. I like right, action you. movies. Hello and welcome to the fifteenth uh, episode such. of File Sonder, where and, we talk to people uh, with lives just as interesting as our own. What else can I tell you? What was your career? Oh yes, my career. Well, uh, after I graduated from college, that was June of 1967, mm -hmm. and the Vietnam War was still in full swing. 
So I got back to West Palm Beach and dutifully went down to the draft board to tell them I had graduated. Mm -hmm. uh, up to then, I'd had a student deferment from the draft, but uh, they immediately classified me what's called 1A. And it wasn't long after that that I got a draft notice. Mm. Uh, that's the Army going right, to right. the army. Mm -hmm. uh, by that time, I had decided that Vietnam was a, a losing proposition, and I, uh, I, d I didn't like the idea of being shot at for no particular <laughs> reason. So what to do? Uh, I, I joined the Navy. Essentially, I traded two years, which would have been my commitment for the draft, mm -hmm. for four years in the Navy. And... Um, it, it wasn't bad. I met a lot of really great guys. I served on two ships, mm -hmm. and then I was stationed in Iceland for uh, 22 months at the Naval Communications Station in Keflavik, Iceland. It's not too far from the uh, capital of Reykjavik. And um, uh, Iceland is a uh, wonderful place. <clears throat> uh, people... Uh, if you want to have a great vacation, go there. Uh, some of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. And, uh, yeah, they all speak English, <laughs> among other things. Uh, after the Navy, I got out of the Navy in uh, December of, uh, of uh, 1971 and uh, just kind of hung out for a while and got a, uh, a buddy of mine, he had gotten out of the Army, so we decided to go to California just to goof around. <laughs> and we headed out, uh, and we stopped in Boulder, Colorado, because his, uh, he had a, his aunt lived there, and so we mooched off of her for about a week. Well, I just fell in love with Colorado, and I've been here ever since. I never did make it to California, so to speak, and um, got a little uh, um, one-room buffet-type apartment. Uh, in the meantime, I, I had saved some money, but I, I knew I was going to have to uh, work. I was uh, eligible because I was a veteran just out of the service to for unemployment compensation, and I applied for that with the state of Colorado. Um, but uh, long story short on that, I finally got a job offer with the Veterans Administration, now called the Department of Veterans Benefits. So I thought I would, uh, uh, that'll be fine um, for a while. My unemployment was running out. So uh, 25 some years later, I'm st still in the federal government. Uh, I started out as a veterans claims examiner. I didn't care for that type of work because it's uh, casework, piecemeal. It never ends, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't find it rewarding. So I had an opportunity to go into personnel management, today called human resources. And that's where I stayed for the rest of my career. I went from... Uh, uh, the Veterans Administration, to the Environmental Protection Agency, to the Department of Labor, and wound up at the Department of Energy, all here in the Colorado area. Mm. Did you have one, like, 
section in particular that you enjoyed working in? Well, I did. I, I was in labor management and employee relations. Mm -hmm. uh, they do have labor unions in the uh, federal government, uh, but they're not anywhere near as, as strong as they are in the private sector, but you still have to deal with them. And uh, my job, I represented management, so to speak. Uh, and uh, my customers were supervisors and managers who uh, had various issues and problems. And then the employee relations aspect of that uh, is just kind of a nice way of saying uh, firing people. People with uh, poor performance, disciplinary problems, and that kind of thing. Uh, contrary to popular belief, you actually can fire someone from the federal government. Oh. And uh, anyway, um, that's what I did. And then in 1994, during the Clinton administration, uh, he authorized, the president authorized early outs in order to downsize the federal government. So I had an opportunity for early retirement, and I took it. Uh, I never liked to work. <laughs> I, uh, I had a paper route when I was 14 for a year, and that was it. I never wanted to work. But anyway, um, so I, I retired when I was 50 years old, and I've been retired now uh, longer than I worked. Um, you, you have to be able to afford that, by the way. Right, right. Uh, but my wife and I, she was all, my wife is also a retired federal employee, and, and we were both making good money, and uh, we invested and so on and so forth, so we were able to uh, take early retirements. And did you, like, did you being a war baby influence, like, maybe your interest in political science? or? No, I don't think so. Uh, it was more my, my parents in home life. Mm. Um, my father was an attorney, and my mother was, uh, had been a school teacher, but after she had me, she was quite fortunate could be a stay-at-home mom, mm -hmm. which was, of course, the ordinary thing to do for women in the 1950s. And... Um, uh, what I what I remember is is always the nightly news on uh, uh, then television was over the air. I only had four or five channels, but uh, uh, we watched the CBS News with a very famous newscaster by the name of Walter Cronkite, mm -hmm. and uh, I watched that. I was interested in that, and then uh, as I say, we had gotten uh, my father subscribed to both the Palm Beach Post and the Miami Herald. And um, so there was, and, and magazines. So there was a lot of discussion and, and whatnot, and I just uh, liked it. I enjoyed it, and I still do. I, I uh, just a news junkie. I watch it all the time. Yeah, and this is just out of curiosity, but is Iceland really green? A what? Is Iceland really green? Because I heard that like. Greenland's very icy and Iceland's very green. Yes, uh, they're misnamed. However, Iceland, the, line, the land of fire and ice, oh. uh, the coastal regions are very green. Mm. But the interior 
It's about the size of the state of Ohio in terms of square miles, although Iceland, think of it as kind of round, Mm -hmm. with one peninsula that comes out, which is where I was. That's called the Reykjanes Peninsula. And uh, where I was was a NATO base. Iceland is a member of NATO. Right, right. Um, And... uh, we were part of what was called the Iceland Defense Force. Iceland does not have an army. They don't have a military. And it was a combination of Navy and Air Force. Uh, The Navy was involved in, uh, again, I was in a communication station where we, we communicated through a variety of means to uh, naval ships, submarines, and planes in the North Atlantic. And the, the Air Force, uh, they flew fighter jets and uh, went out on patrols. This was during the Cold War, I should mention, with the United States and the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Navy had pilots, too. They flew what are, were called P-3 Orions, which were submarine hunters. Mm-hmm. They went out <clears throat> looking for Russian submarines and keeping track of that. Uh, but yes, and, and it's fascinating country. If, if, if anyone has an interest in geology, you've got to mm-hmm. go there. Uh, volcanoes, I saw, I saw those. Mount Hecla erupted while we were there, oh. and I'll never forget that, seeing that thing. We took a field trip up there. Uh, whaling station we went to, but the glaciers, there are, uh, in the middle there are glaciers, so it, it, it gets cold up there. Right. It, did you like physically see the volcano erupt? Yeah, yes. Uh, it was a bus tour. Um, as the crow flies straight line, we were probably uh, five miles from it at least. And there were three cones. There was the main cone, which is the initial eruption, and then it spawned two smaller ones. And at that distance, the noise and watching it throwing up sizes, rocks the size of boxcars, you know, 100 feet in the air, uh, orange, red flames coming out of the thing, and the noise sounded like, a, a tornado and trains and jet planes all at the same time. And uh, where we stopped was the edge of the lava flow. Uh, the lava flow at that point was moving at uh, a rate of about, I think it was three meters an hour. And you could see it moving. It looked at, like a consistency of really thick oatmeal or something Mm. and it would peel off and whatnot and of course like every other idiot I wanted is really hot so (laughs) I walked toward I could not get any closer than maybe 30 feet to Mm. it before the heat just became too much so we had box lunches and the soda cans back then were made out of steel not aluminum so we have all these box lunches and these uh, steel cans, what to do with them. So we just heaved them up there toward the lava flow. And I saw steel Coke cans caught, catch on fire, just catch on fire and melt right there. Wow. So it, it was really hot, uh, but the sight of that thing, is, I can see it now and hear it, it, it's just awesome.
And you were expecting it, right? Oh, yeah. No, oh, okay. we, it had been erupting for a month or so. Oh, okay. Oh, the eruption went on for months. Yeah. And uh, the, it, it, they still have an eruption of some kind up there every once in a while. Uh, there was one uh, offshore in uh, what was called the West... They pronounce it like with a V, Vestminster Islands, or Vestman Islands, Vestman mm -hmm. Islands. And it uh, erupted and just created an own little mini island. Uh, but they had to evacuate a lot of uh, Icelandic okay, citizens yeah. from that because it, it destroyed everything right, around right. it. But it's uh, still an extremely uh, active volcanic area. Uh, part of the, I think the geologists call it the Ring of Fire, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, the, the latest tragedy, if you probably knew in the news, was in the Canary Islands. Right, right. What else did you see? Oh, I just, uh, another fascinating thing that Julie and I have seen uh, three times on cruises is a total eclipse of the sun. And the last one was off of Hawaii. And that year, it was a particularly long period of what's called totality, when the shadow of the moon stays over the, the sun. Mm -hmm. It lasted almost seven minutes. And uh, that is another thing that just leaves you there with your mouth hanging open yeah. to watch that because you can see the corona oh it's gorgeous the corona and uh you start the ships the the these were cruises that were specifically announced for an eclipse cruise so there's it's loaded with amateur astronomers mm. and photographers you've never seen so much photography equipment and, and and don't waste your time trying to get a picture of it with a little camera. I mean, it just, don't do that. Spend your time <laughs> looking at right, the eclipse. Right. And you have a viewer. You cannot look. When the eclipse starts, it's called the first bite. It's when the shadow starts going over the sun. Mm -hmm. This whole process uh, takes about two hours because it moves slowly and reaches totality and then goes out the right, other side. Right. So you have this viewer that you use to watch the progress of the moon's shadow. You, you look down, hold it up to your face, and then look up at the sun through this special material. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it'll, it'll really damage right, your eyes. Right. But during totality, you just look right at it. And... Uh, just a few moments before totality, the shadow of the moon, you look out toward the sea, and the shadow of the moon, you can see it racing toward you, and it's creepy. I mean, it's, uh, I mean all of a sudden, you just see this big black, oh, yeah. black shadow racing toward you. Mm -hmm. And then, of course... It goes uh, dark, 
But you need to take a moment or two, though, to look around because the horizon is, it, uh, the surrounding sea and the horizon is, is, is very, very interesting during it. But you want to just watch that thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. All right. One more question. How did you meet your wife? Oh, pardon me? How did you meet your wife? Oh, at work. At yeah. work, really? Yeah. yeah. She worked in the Veterans Administration. Mm. She spent her whole career with, with the VA, but that's where I met her. And uh, uh, one thing and another. And so you, know, you were married. <laughs> we, were, we were together for almost uh, 10 years and then... Uh, decided, well, we might as well get married. <laughs> really? Ten years? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 no particular reason. It's just it was a lifestyle that worked out for us. And uh, what uh, kind of forced the issue was the economics of it. It's, it. it's cheaper for two people to live together than it is maintaining two separate places and, and such. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. And this might seem like a very dumb question, but were you in Iceland during the Cold War? Oh, yes. I was there from, uh, let me think, February of 69 through January of 71, 22 months. Mm -hmm. I was, my initial assignment was for a year, and then I applied to extend it for a year, but they only gave me 10 months because they wanted me to have at least 12 months to go, and then I got assigned to a ship, which was kind of cool, too. Mm. But, uh, yes, uh, in fact, the day we arrived and the plane set down, the wind blows a lot in Iceland. Mm. It blows a lot. It blows hard. And uh, so this is... Uh, February, I think. Yeah, it, uh, February. And uh, so I, I'm going out the, the door of the airplane down the ladder. I look out, and the snow is moving horizontally from left to right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I had on a what the sailors call a white hat. You know what a Navy sailor's mm. Dixie cup hat. Yeah. Uh, well, I never saw that hat again. I mean, the wind took that and <laughs> Went, oh kept on going. So uh, anyway, yes, that was during the, the uh, uh, definite uh, period of the Cold War. Mm. Uh, a lot of saber rattling and so on and so forth. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a question to ask you. In fact, uh, one other little thing, speaking of the Cold War, uh, the year I was at uh, the University of Florida, which would have been... Uh, uh, this would be the uh, fall of uh, 1963. Yes, it was before I dropped out. I was a sophomore. That was doing during the Cuban military uh, Cuban missile crisis. Mm. John F. Kennedy was president, and uh, that was quite the deal. I, uh, we all gathered around a black and white TV to see the president's address about that. And uh, the Georgia-Florida football game 
was scheduled and I was going over to meet my parents. My dad was an alumni and a big football fan. The Georgia-Florida game is traditionally played in Jacksonville, Florida. And anyway, uh, in the uh, sundry shop of the hotel, there were some sailors and I was chatting with them and they were there getting ready to uh, board their ships and head head to uh, down to Cuba. Uh, the railroad line nearby, I remember seeing the uh, rail go by loaded with military equipment of all kind. It's the only time in my life that I've actually ever been scared that we might get into a full-blown shooting war. Mm. And then, of course, the Russians, uh, the uh, a premier there at the time, Nikita Khrushchev, he finally backed down and removed those uh, uh, missile sites from Cuba. But it stayed, uh, Cuba has been a communist country ever since. And you said you worked in the um, Iceland defense. Yes, the the uh, uh, military at the time there in the NATO base is called the Iceland Defense Force. Defense Force. It was a IDF. It, it was a treaty we had with Iceland, and um, the base there. It's a very big base. It, it army. I mean, uh, Navy and Air Force compose about ninety five percent of it. There is a Marine Corps detachment there. Wherever there's sailors, there's Marines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Marines are responsible for security. And then there was some uh, there there was some Army types there, but I never ran into them. I don't even know why they were there. But the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, uh, head of the Iceland Defense Force rotates between a Navy Rear Admiral and a Air Force Major General the two top people, and then the various components have their own commanding officers. Like where I was at the Naval Communication Station, we had a commanding officer. He was a Navy captain. Mm. Um, one interesting thing, the uh, airport, the international airport is right there too. We The military shared the same runways with uh, the airlines, which at that time was called Lofleader. Now it's Iceland Air. The, one of the main um, sources of income in Iceland is wool from sheeps. Mm. They do not fence their sheeps in. They're all tagged and they roam around and everything. Really? And then every year, come time to shear the wool... They sort them. It's a big round, kind of a like a a pie cut up in wedges, where they move the sheep with the different tags, the owners around. So anyway, these sheep are free range. They just roam everywhere, and um, they even would roam out (laughs) onto the runways, and uh, so. And it created a problem. The military employed an Icelandic sheep herder to keep the things off the runways because of, you know, you got a, right. <laughs> a uh, Air Force uh, 
F whatever tooling down there and runs into one of these things. And that happened every once in a while. The, the treaty provided that a, any sheep that was injured or killed as a result of the military, that the owner of the sheep had to be reimbursed for that sheep and a particularly if it was a female sheep, some proportionate, uh, there was a, a, a formula to reimburse him for what would have been the sheep's progeny. Wow. <laughs> so uh, protecting those sheep was as important oh, as, yeah. as protecting the, the, the base. It was kind of funny. That, oh, I bet, yeah. Yeah. And did you, like, travel a lot during your career or, like, just for fun maybe? You mean uh, w- with the Navy or with, uh, well, the, the Both. F- yeah, the first, I, the first uh, after boot camp, I was assigned to a ship, and uh, I didn't like sea duty. Uh, the, the ship was very old. It was a converted World War II uh, aircraft carrier, converted to be a communications command ship. And, it, and anyway... All it did was sail up and down the East Coast. Well, that was pretty, that was okay. We pulled into some pretty nice ports, Fort Lauderdale, Boston, New York, mm. Philadelphia. So uh, your free time, what, what sailors call liberty, when, when you can leave the ship was pretty good. But um, at the time, I was working in the communications center, the comm center, uh, and the main type of communications is teletype machines, which is, think of it as a fancy typewriter. So one night I was uh, working on that and I pulled off a message and saw that they were looking for a uh, yeoman, which is a Navy word for a clerk, administrative clerk in Iceland in their engineering office. So the next day I hustled down to the ship's mm-hmm. personnel office yeah. and put in a bid for that and got selected. So that's how I happened to go to Iceland. Now the next ship on I was assigned to, uh, the USS Raleigh, um, it was a, called an amphibious transport dock its mission is to carry a thousand marines and their equipment and to put them ashore uh, in the event of a battle and uh, that was a good that was a good ship we had uh, uh, it it was fun watching the marines train um, at a place off North Carolina called Onslow Beach uh, watching the marines it, the ship is, the back of it, the stern, is straight up and down, and it has a thing called a stern gate, which lowers down into the water, and it floods what's called a well deck. It's the size of an Olympic swimming pool. It's huge. And what it's all about is the Marines get to shore on a vehicle called an Amtrak, which is a, jeez, the thing is just a big box of, and it goes racing off the end of the ship into the water. It goes completely under the water for a few minutes and then bo- not a few seconds and then bobs up to the type. And then it 
the term is it swims toward the shore mm. and the Marines get out. So watching all that was fun. Oh, yeah. And then um, one summer, and this was really neat, uh, we brought on board a whole lot of midshipmen from the Naval Academy. And there was about 30 of them that were juniors about to be seniors and they lived with and did officer things but there was 200 of them who were freshmen about to be sophomores that lived with and worked with the enlisted men and I mean that was sweet I mean it was like having slave labor we did, we did all got all kinds of things done with those guys worked them like dogs but uh, the cruise was uh we went to uh, Portugal, Lisbon, and uh, we went to Copenhagen, Denmark, and then to Portsmouth, England. Uh, it was uh, six weeks cruise, wow. uh, leaving out of Norfolk, Virginia, and returning. And, and that was really a good time. We had some great liberty in those ports. Mm, I bet, and yeah. uh, uh, the chaplain on the ship, uh, big ships have a chaplain, a Navy officer, and part of his collateral duties was to sort of be like a cruise director, and he planned all kinds of just super tours all day that we could take for 10 bucks, including uh, lunch, and see all kinds of things, and I took all of those. And it, and it was uh, educational and fun, so mm-hmm. I, I'll have fond memories of that. And then uh, come the end of 1971, Vietnam is uh, scaling down, and the Navy is uh, losing to, uh, looking to uh, downsize its personnel. So they authorized early outs, and I got a four-month early out, so actually I was in the Navy for uh, uh, three three years, eight months, and 28 days. How do you remember that? Oh, that brain. Sailors <laughs> know almost to the minute oh my gosh. how long we've been in. <laughs> All right. Um, that was very interesting and very fun. Um, do you have anything you would like to say to the listeners? No, I guess that about covers it, except uh, whoever's listening, if you're in school, uh, you have great opportunity there, so don't miss out on anything. Study <laughs> hard. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone on the internet and to Mr. Passetti for joining us today, and we will be back with another episode next time. <laughs>